Hey, everyone. As we mentioned last episode, we're technically taking this week off for Thanksgiving, but we do have a special bonus episode to keep you going while you travel for the holiday. That's right. And we're taking today to talk about the NACD CES experience. Aaron and I will be going through some feedback and questions we've received from past attendees, as well as connections to things we've covered here on Future Fluency. Bruno, that's part of what I love about CES. Aside from being the world's largest and most influential technology show, like so much of what we cover here on the podcast, it's about looking at the intersection of disruptive forces and using real-life examples to help understand what innovation looks like in practice. Our first topic is artificial intelligence, which I know has been top of mind for us as we get into our series on the future of work. AI continues to transform the global economy and impact business operations across industries. And we know it's important for corporate directors to understand how this will affect their companies. Aaron, how can the NACD CES experience keep directors informed about what's next in AI? One of the things I love about CES is just the breadth and the scope of everything that's on display. So it's not just looking at AI as a technology. It's really looking at how AI is being applied in ways big and small across all kinds of industries, from travel to healthcare to manufacturing um, to even farming. One of my favorite examples from the last couple years is John Deere. Um, they're a 180-plus old company. They've been around for a long time. Um, not typically a company that comes to mind for a lot of folks when they think about innovation. And they have been at CES for the past couple years showing how they're using AI in really innovative ways to completely rethink how farmers work and thinking about the applications of technology. So everything from, you know, remote monitoring of equipment and grain silos to using AI to be able to look at the health of their crops down to the individual plant. How much water does it need? Um, Does it need pesticide? Um, You know, all kinds of different factors. So it's completely reshaping the farming landscape, something you wouldn't think about until you go to a place like CES and just see in real time how some of these technologies are being applied to help companies and entire industries completely rethink innovation. That's awesome. I was fascinated by the remote surgery room because it was basically a remote OR where a doctor from hundreds or thousands of miles away Mm -hmm. can step into a machine and effectively guide a robot on the other end performing a pretty significant operation, which I mean, aside from, you know, as we've talked about in the podcast and we'll continue to talk about in the podcast, doctors are prime for automated assistance and artificial intelligence assistance. And, it will, you know, it's fascinating to see that at CES a full year almost before we started talking about it here. I'm glad you brought that up, Bruno, because that's the other thing that I think is really powerful about CES is in a lot of cases, you really get to see how some of these technologies are being applied in early days. And it's almost like getting a little preview of some of the disruption that's coming down the pike. And it's not just about seeing you know, the, the technology on display, but the way that we construct the experience, which I know we'll talk about in a little more detail, is really almost to be a translator. So here's what you're seeing. You know, Again, why does it matter? Well, how does it impact how we think about both strategy and risk as a business? And how do you think about the implications of that technology as it gets more widely adopted and how you could use it as a business to either be a strategic advantage um, or, you know, how it might potentially pose a risk, whether it's to your existing business model um, or to some of the other pieces that that we have talked about and will continue to talk about across the show, whether it's things like privacy, data, um, or just the risk of being rendered obsolete if your company isn't thinking about these kinds of innovations. 
That's a great jumping off point, because as we get further into our series on the future of work, we're going to talk about, especially when it comes to data and algorithms, some of the risks that are associated with things like hiring and employee monitoring and diversity and inclusion, which we talk about a lot on the show. So while we're thinking about all of these potential risks, how are some of the things that you're seeing at CES reinforcing the necessity of inclusion and diversity as business imperatives? So when I think of diversity as a business imperative, if you expand that out to sort of its broadest expression, it's really about how do we widen our lens as business leaders and question our own assumptions and biases, right? That could be everything from who are we hiring to do a job, um, who's sitting around the board table, or you know how we're thinking about big questions like um, who's our competition, what business are we in, um, what does it mean to be fit for purpose for the future? And so all of it, I think, comes back to, again, rethinking and questioning our own biases and creating a broader lens to think about things like diversity, like innovation. So a couple of examples that I love from CES last year that we use in a lot of our innovation talks throughout the year. The two examples I'm going to share with you both come from uh, P&G, from Procter & Gamble, another 180-plus-year-old company um, who's been around for a long time and is constantly thinking about how do we innovate, how do we disrupt ourselves. Um, So one of them I love is really in that vein of what business are we in? And it's actually decidedly pretty low tech, but something that was on um, display in, in, in the conversations that I was having last year at CES. When they looked at their brand Tide, right, Tide detergent, you know, longstanding, iconic American brand, and it's laundry detergent, right? How much can you innovate how you think about laundry detergent? Well, they didn't start with how can we make a better laundry detergent? They took a step back and said, okay, what business are we in as Tide? And questioned some of the assumptions that they had made about the business. Where they landed was the answer to the question, what business are we in, is we are in the business of providing clean clothes. Because if you have clean clothes, you have more confidence, you can go out, you can conquer your day. And where that led them was not to build a better version of Tide detergent, but to actually launch something called Tide Cleaners. So they started acquiring dry cleaners all over the country, opening new buildings, and they have basically created this 24-7 accessible dry cleaning service. It's completely reimagined their business. That's only possible when you are willing to take a step back and question some fundamental biases that you have about who are we, um, what do we do here, what are we about? And I think there's such an important link between that and some of the diversity conversations that we're having. Another example I also love from PNG about widening the lens and thinking about disrupting yourself is also this idea of um, you know, both who's our customer and how do we do things around here. So last year at CES, P&G had on display this brand new heated razor. So it's supposed to mimic kind of the feel of one of those old school barbershop hot towel shaves, really cool product. Um, And when they developed it, they took a step back and thought, who's the customer for this? And how can we roll this out, get attention for this new product in a different way in a really crowded marketplace, right? The razor marketplace is crowded. You've seen folks like Dollar Shave Club and Harry's come onto the scene as disruptors. So they understood we need to completely rethink how we think about marketing and selling razors. 
So they're PNG. They have tons of money for things like R&D, for things like focus groups, for things like marketing. And instead of going to kind of their tried and true model for how they had done that in the past, they actually went to Indiegogo. Now, some of our listeners may recognize that Indiegogo is um, a crowdsourcing platform. Um, I know it because when Indiegogo started 20 years ago, they were initially aimed at filmmakers and other artists. And how do I help you, you know, raise funds for your art project? Indiegogo over the last 10 years or so has really had their own shift and is now kind of known as this platform where innovative products launch. So an entrepreneur um, would go to Indiegogo with an idea for a product Um, would put it out to the crowdfunding marketplace. And a lot of times they're doing this because they need the infusion of cash, let's say, in a first run of the product in order to manufacture the product to scale. And so they're literally using these crowdfunding resources as a way to get their business started. Clearly, P&G doesn't need this. They have plenty of money to do this. But what they understood was the audience at Indiegogo are early adopters of technology. They're people who are going to go out on platforms like social media, talk about their experience, talk to their friends. And so they made this conscious decision to launch this product on the Indiegogo platform. They only made 3,000 units available. When those units sold out, um, they stopped production. They're going to deliver those 3,000 units and then get feedback back from that community. So they're going to have real-time feedback from this core customer that they know is their target to be able to improve the product. They're creating amazing buzz, brand buzz, product buzz, and word of mouth in the meantime. And all of that was only possible by the team that was working on this product, again, taking a step back and saying, how do we sort of forget everything that we think we know about product development, product marketing, feedback? And so I think it's all tied together in the bigger kind of diversity conversation, which is goes right back to questioning our assumptions and questioning our biases. Awesome. And as someone who has one of the tied to go uh, stations in my apartment, it it has completely changed my relationship with doing laundry and specifically dry cleaning. Being able to drop something off, walk away and pick it up in the same place later on is huge. You know, for most people, and especially living in an apartment building in the D.C. area, that's not something that's always accessible. And how that changes how you think about what the brand of Tide is. Right. right? It's not just Tide is not just the detergent that I put in the washing machine. It becomes a laundry ecosystem, which is a really compelling way to think about what the industry or really any industry can turn into. And that's so much of what I think we try to do on the podcast. We break it down into its pieces and parts, whether that's, you know, diversity, whether it's bias, whether it's technology. But again, it all comes back to how do we create a different kind of conversation about rethinking our assumptions when it comes to all the different components of of business and leadership and culture. And speaking of people who guide people through the process, um, in addition to the NACD exclusive programming and networking opportunities at CES, there's a tour with Shelley Palmer and the Palmer Group, which is a huge benefit add for the NACD CES experience. You know, it's hard to single out one thing, but what insights can directors generally expect from the tours that they wouldn't otherwise get if they were attending on their own? So that's a great question. We actually have two sets of tours. One is led by the Consumer Technology Association who puts on the show and there's an opportunity for directors to actually get on the show floor before it opens, which is huge on a couple different fronts. It's a very intimate experience of what is normally a 170,000 person um, show floor. So that that part's great. But both with CTA and with Shelley in particular, again, it goes back to 
providing context for everything you're seeing. So there's all this amazing technology. There are all these innovations on display. But unless you really understand what you're looking at beyond the product, unless you can really look at these things and be able to deconstruct not just the product, but the technology driving it, the trends that are driving it, and then what those mean for disruption and innovation kind of writ large, you're really missing an important, valuable part of why CES is so great. So Shelly in particular, I call him the CES Sherpa. He's uh, been been a huge part of CES for years and years and years. He himself is a you know technology expert and a futurist. So to be able to go on the show floor with someone like him, first of all, he's really able to separate the wheat from the chaff. So he um, ahead of time kind of plots a course where he's singling out what he thinks are going to be the most interesting, the most relevant. Uh, booths to go see in terms of of the technology that's on display and, and what they can teach our board members. Again, CES is amazing in part because there is such a breadth and depth in terms of just the sheer size. It's also part of what can make it extremely overwhelming if you go on your own. And so to be able to go not just with a guide, but with a guide as knowledgeable and informed as someone like Shelley, who can, again, really identify what are the most relevant pieces and what do they mean is so critical. Um, One just quick example that springs to mind, Bruno, from two years ago, you had talked a little bit about data, privacy, and risk. I know something we're going to get into in a little more detail in our next episode. And I'll never forget um, on a tour with Shelly two years ago, we were you know, going through the floor and we stopped at this booth and it was, um, you know, full of these really colorful toothbrushes that were made for little kids, you know, five, six-year-olds. And the whole point of the product was to gamify brushing your teeth. So this toothbrush was connected to an app on your phone and you'd pull up the app and it kind of creates this little virtual reality world and, you know, gamifies brushing your teeth. So do you hit all the teeth? How fast, you know, do you brush your teeth? How slow? You know, whatever, whatever it's trying to teach kids about dental hygiene kind of shows up gamifying on this app that's connected to the toothbrush. And, you know, Shelly's saying, hey, look, this is great. Um, it's it's solving an important problem, which is teaching kids good oral hygiene. Um, it's doing it in a way that makes it fun for them. The price point is great. I think it was 25 bucks. I, at the time, my nephew was five. He hated brushing his teeth. I was ready to whip out my credit card. And Shelly stopped and said, this is all great until you think about a five-year-old alone in a bathroom with an internet-connected, cell phone-enabled camera. And we all just kind of went, whoa, right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his point was it doesn't make this a bad product. Um, It's still a great product that's trying to solve an important problem. And we don't know, right? We don't know the board of directors at this company or the CEO. They very well could be thinking about these issues and have security built in. But the point, I think, for the business leaders there is how are you thinking about things like risk and liability as you are applying these new innovations? And if it's not something this company is thinking about, you can see a scenario pretty quickly where, you know, you can cause some real harm, both to the consumer that you're trying to serve, but also, you know, to the company in terms of reputational risk, in terms of liability. So again, it's really taking what you're seeing and putting it into a bigger context of how do you think about both enabling your strategy in a more powerful way and just having a much more thoughtful, robust, holistic view of how this technology is also linked to things like risk oversight. That's awesome. I remember being on the floor last year and as you walk around on your own, what caught my attention is not just the volume of vendors, but the volume of people. 
And it's just an amazing experience and an amazing energy to step into with the NACD team who are all phenomenal and make the experience, aside from adding value, just so much more fun. We do have a lot of fun. It's it's a great time. It's a, just a different way to learn. It's a really fully immersive, experiential learning experience. So it's it's all the things that I, I've come to really love and, and take pride in around how we think about director education at NACD, which is really helping business leaders look ahead and understand what's coming down the pike and how to apply it, but doing it in this way that is just really um, – Again, immersive, and you're getting to see these things in real time. It just makes the insights that you get there so much richer, more tangible, and and you can really start to see how they can apply to your own business. Erin, if there's one piece of information that you would offer to any of the directors who are coming with us to CES, whether it's about go and check out this part of the event and experience or make sure you do this in preparation for your trip, what would it be? So um, I'm going to cheat and give you two things as my answer. Um, One, just in general, is I know that um, business leaders in particular are incredibly busy and there are a lot of demands on our schedules and we kind of want to be in and out. I think we really have the opportunity at CES to not just – go to the you know two, three days of programming that NACD offers, but then to take that as a jumping off point to be able to go explore on your own. So I would say um, carve out as much time as you can to actually spend time on the ground and really soak everything in. Because once you have some of the guide points from CTA, Consumer Technology Association, or from someone like a Shelley Palmer, you're really empowered to then go explore more of the show floor on your own and, and be able to contextualize things. Um, The other thing I would say is one of the great um, hidden secrets or hidden gems of CES is, as you said, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of companies on display. It's impossible to see it all. You can get lost trying to see it all. Um, And one of the things I love is they have this thing called the Innovation Awards, and they have a little showcase of the Innovation Awards on display where you can almost kind of see – the best of for CES. So, and I love the way they describe it. Um, the people that win this award have been deemed as extraordinary or revolutionary in some regard, and they really see these products as the ones that are leading the way when it comes to the next generation of tech. So you can, it's almost like having the, the CES cliff notes. You can kind of pop your head in, take a little stroll around, and it cuts across all kinds of technology, um, all kinds of industry, and really get a sense uh, quickly of what the Consumer Technology Association has deemed kind of the best of CES. Um, so that's a great way to kind of get a, a full taste of, of some of the innovation that's on display there and, and how it's being applied. Well, I don't want to hurry through the holidays, but this does get me very excited about January. The NACD CES experience is this coming January 6th through 8th. Um, and you can find out more and register at nacdonline.org slash CES. Speaking of the holidays, Bruno, what are you thankful for since it's Thanksgiving? You know what, Aaron? This holiday, I am really thankful for my mobility. I recently uh, broke my foot in a small home accident, and I am incredibly grateful that most of the time I have a pretty easy time getting around. And it's got me thinking a lot about inclusion when it comes to things like mobility and access. So I'm very thankful for that. What about yourself? That's great. I love that answer. I'm just sitting here thinking how thankful I am for you and how thankful I am for all of our listeners. Well, I'm really thankful for you, too, and all of our listeners. This has been a very special bonus episode of Future Fluency, and we look forward to talking to you next episode. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Future Fluency is produced and edited by Bruno Falcon, with production support from Carrie Sheehan. Special thanks to Jeanette Woods. Our theme song is composed by Kyle Oppenheimer. 
Future Fluency is a production of the National Association of Corporate Directors. For more information on NACD or to become a member, please visit nacdonline.org.